Okay, in a sense, the home of Peter's first readers was Asia Minor. We know the region as modern Turkey. In another sense, Peter's readers were foreigners in this world and to this world's system. They faced many pressures and temptations in their culture. They needed to know how to live with integrity as good witnesses whose lives would glorify God and reflect their eternal home with him. Peter wrote to help them meet this challenge. And so in our study today, we're going to see how Peter wrote to them to meet the challenge that they faced because we're going through the same challenges, aren't we? Okay, page 109 brings us to our first question. What place feels most like home to you and why? And of course, you want to remember now, when, when we think of home, we want to include a building, a community, a geographical, lo locate, geographical location, as well as a group of people. So the question, what feels most like home to you and why? We want to go first. What feels most like home to you and why? Hmm? Could be. God's house. God's house, okay. Let me ask you this. How many uh, how many of us have, have, have moved more than once? <laughs> Everybody, right? Okay. Who who have uh, who have moved more than five times? That's a lot of moving. <laughs> okay. All right, let's look at the, the uh, Bible meets life. It talks about moving here. Someone want to read that, please? Some people live in the same house most of their lives. Me? It takes a while to add up all the houses. <laughs> As a child, my family lived in six different homes. Each one was unique. Some homes were small, some were large. Some had big backyards, others didn't. Some homes were in the city, some were in the country. As an adult, we have continued the trend of frequent moving. My wife and I have lived in 11 different residences in three different states. The thought of carrying a couch through a narrow front door ever again makes me want to pull my hair out. <laughs> Few things are more exhausting more than the moving, more exhausting than the moving process. When you move a lot, it's difficult to determine where home really is. But whether you've lived in many places or if you were born and raised in just one place, Peter reminded us that as that Christians are all just passing through. This world as we know it is only temporary. In other words, we all have another big move in our future. Okay. We all have another big move in our future. What is that big move? From heaven. From here to glory, right? What's the point? Our lives in this world should reflect our eternal home. You ever thought about it like that? That our lives in this world should reflect our eternal home. What do you think that means? 
Off the top, what do you think that means? We're going to look at the study and see what it means, but off the top, what do you think that means? One, one, hold on, one. Okay, let's go one at a time. Uh, Sister Brenda. The way we live should demonstrate Christ. We should okay. be more Christ-focused. Okay, it should be more Christ-focused in the way we live. Yeah. Basically, we should live that life like Christ is coming that day. Okay. Take us home with him. All right, we should live as if... Okay. Anybody else? How about living in a way where others become yeah. jealous uh-huh. about the way you live and they want to go where you're going. Ever met anybody about yeah. who is jealous about you or jealous about what you have and, and uh, uh, what you experience, what your future is like? You know, we want to live in a way that makes people jealous of where we want to go so that they won't want to go there too. You think that's a good answer? Yeah. Yes. Okay, a large in this... Uh-huh. I, I was going to say that... Um, Someone uh, responded to a compliment about their home. Just lately, they said, oh, it's all on loan, isn't it? And, you know, that's refreshing because that really verbalizes what we know. Mm-hmm. That it all belongs to the Lord and it's temporary. You know, we're mm-hmm. going to go to our forever home soon. That's right. Mm-hmm. Our lives should reflect our eternal home. Let's pray. (coughs) Father, we ask your blessings upon each of us as we gain a stronger vision of heaven in order to aspire our actions and attitudes right here on earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's look at the first uh, passage that we have. First, sec, first Peter chapter 2, verse 11. We could have someone read that, please. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves ably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evil doers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Okay. Continue. When I was a teenager, my family... Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. When I was a teenager, my family was at the Orlando airport preparing to fly home to Texas. The airline representative came over the loudspeaker offering vouchers for anyone willing to wait an extra hour and take another flight. Jumping at that op- at the opportunity, my brother and I begged our parents to let us stay and take the next flight. Amazingly, our parents agreed. After my brother and I were on the second flight for a while, I looked out the window and saw just, um, I looked out the window and something just didn't seem right. I should have seen Sandy flat west texas instead i saw rolling green hills and beautiful blue bodies of water in that moment the captain announced we will be landing in 30 minutes i hope you enjoy your stay in branson missouri we had gotten on the wrong plane. <laughs> this will seem obvious but my brother and i never treated branson as home 
Our brief stay there was nothing more than a temporary layover. Our focus was on getting to our final destination, on getting home. The same is true with our lives on this earth. Our stay in this present world is merely a temporary layover. Our ultimate destination is a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21.1 That's why Peter called us strangers and exiles. We won't find our true identity in any earthly address. And because the world is not our true home, Peter told us not to be seduced by the sinful desires that tug at us while we're here. Where do those sinful desires come from? Each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Next page. Even as followers of Christ, the old sin nature still rears its ugly head and seeks to pull us down. Satan knows this. He constantly seeks to entice us to listen to the old sin nature. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. We are to abstain from living in, in sin which is living as if this world is our home. We do this not just for personal holiness, but also as a testimony to those outside the faith. Instead of others seeing us live like them, they will see our good works, our selfless, self-denying, love-filled lives, and they will be drawn to glorify God on the day he visits. The assumption behind Peter's statement is that unbelievers are always watching to see how Christ followers conduct themselves. They're looking to see if our faith is sincere or just hypocritical posturing. Peter was also confident that when believers are faithful to Christ, unbelievers will have no choice but to glorify God. Okay. Interesting. Look at question number two. What are the practical implications of living as strangers and temporary residents? What are the practical implications of living as strangers and temporary residents? Peace of mind. Hmm? Peace of mind, okay. Peace of mind and heart? Yeah. All right. Anybody else? Practical implications. No, no roots. No roots. All right, nothing to tie you down. Okay, nothing to hold you down. Woodson says that sometimes, uh, since when the rapture occurs, some believers are going up Feet first? <laughs> Wonder why? Why do you think so? They're going to be holding on to their stuff. Okay? People like stuff, right? Don't they? They're going to be holding on to their stuff. They're not going to want to let it go. And of course, Satan's going to get all of that stuff, and people know that, so they're going to hold, going to hold on to their stuff. All right? So one of the practical implications of living as strangers and temporary residents is that we're not attached 
to anything in this world to the point where we don't want to leave. Okay? Some people uh, go places and they don't want to leave. They want to stay there forever. And you've got people in the United States who left the Bahamas and can't come back to the Bahamas because they went there and they stayed over time and now they can't come back and if they get caught, they're going to be expelled. What, what do they call it? Deported. Right? Because people go places sometimes and they don't want to they don't want to leave. So one of the practical implications of living as strangers and temporary residents is we don't have to worry about all this stuff. Because when the Lord comes, He's going to take us, and uh, he, he, the Bible says He's preparing a place for us. What do you think about that place? Think it's better than the one you have now? Some people don't. Some people have a big question mark about that place. Okay, some people think it's going to be a great big condominium and they're not going to be able to fix up their part the way they want it. Jesus says, I am preparing a place for you. Now, why would you want to improve on what Jesus is doing? Okay, something to think about, isn't it? But rather, you have to take into consideration the person who thinks God is thinking on the earthly times, the Lord is thinking about it. celestial times. Exactly. That, that reminds me of one Sunday morning. We said, they came to church. Church, I said, why are we fighting for going down here and we can be walking on the streets of Bloomington? <laughs> <laughs> I never forget that. Mm. True. Notice the second paragraph. Uh, notice what the second paragraph says. What does it say? What page? 112. Page 112. We are to, we, we are, it says we are to abstain from living in sin, which is living as if this world as is our home. We do this not just for personal holiness, but also as a testimony to those outside the faith. Instead of others seeing us live like them, they will see our good works, our selfless, self-denying, love-filled lives, and they will be drawn to glorify God on the day of visitation. So that's a good illustration there of how we are to live in this world in terms of wanting people to become jealous of where we're going so that they want to go there too. Selfless, self-denying, love-filled lives. What is the greatest enemy of the believer? The greatest enemy of the individual believer is what? Self. Self. We all battle with self. Uh, because we want to please ourselves. We want this for me, myself, and I. And uh, that old Adamic nature continues to make that pull, self. And so throughout the scriptures, we often challenge about living selfless lives, or selfish, selflessly. And so this passage is saying, uh, people will see our good works, our selfless, self-denying, Love filled life. When you when whenever a person is talking, listen to a person in a conversation sometimes, and when they're talking about themselves and others, who do they mention first? <laughs> Me. Right? Isn't that so? 
They're not going to mention others first. It's automatically they mention themselves. Me and you, or me and others, or me and this one. And that's what he's talking about here when he talks about selfless, self-denying, individual, self-filled lives. It's a, it's a natural pull that we have to think of ourselves first. And it takes an extra effort to remember that it's not all about us. It's all about Jesus and his challenge for us to live selfless, self-denying, love-filled lives when it comes to others. Okay, we'll explore um, in verses 13 to 15, uh, as we move to those verses, we'll explore a concept that is difficult for many, and that is submitting to authority. Let's look at the next passage, verses 13 to 15. Someone go ahead and read it. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord. Whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or the governors as those sentenced forth by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Even though this world is only a temporary dwelling place for Christians, it still matters how we live where we are. Our future hope and home will dictate our current conduct and attitude. Where we are on this earth, we are under authority. We always have people in authority over us. And Peter commanded us to submit to every human authority. Someone might use the excuse, well, with the authority over me godly, I would be willing to have to submit. But why should a Christian submit to ungodly authority? Okay, let's go over to page one fourteen. We start thinking that we we need to remember the future recorded these words by Nero as Emperor of Rome. If you are not familiar with the name, Nero was one of the most ungodly men to ever live in planet Earth. While still only a teenager, Nero murdered his huge brother who stood in his way. He had his wife killed because he didn't like married again. And then supposedly killed that wife by kicking her while she was pregnant. The next year, married his third wife after her husband was driven to commit suicide. Because Nero's mother plotted against him, he likely had her killed as well. Nero was also the first of the Roman rulers to persecute Christians. He had Christians arrested, punished in horrific ways, and murdered. Yet, it was during his reign and under his leadership that the Holy Spirit led him to write these words, and he specifically mentioned submission to the emperor. Paul also wrote to Romans during the reign of Nero and addressed him to leave his responsibility to authority. Let everyone submit to the governing authority, since there is no authority except from God, and the authority that exists are instituted by God. So then, 
the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment down themselves. Romans 13. Why is such an emphasis to the what is such an emphasis in the scriptures on submission to earthly authority? Because when we submit to authority, we are really submitting to God. Okay. Now look at the final two paragraphs there. Again, Paul also wrote, we looked at, we saw all that Nero, we saw Nero's reputation, right? Um, I can't think of any other person that, that I could think of who was more evil than, than Nero, other than Hitler. Do you think Hitler was worse than Nero? Yes. Nero. Paul also wrote to Romans during the reign of Nero and addressed the believers' responsibility to authority. Uh, now, you know the believers would have a challenge, right? Submitting to Nero with that kind of a reputation, right? But this is the same period that, that um, God led Peter to write. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Think about that for a minute. Nero was the worst man that the people, the worst emperor the people had ever seen. And yet God says you gotta submit to him. If you don't submit to him, I'll punish you. Serious stuff, isn't it? Why such an emphasis in the scripture on submission to earthly authorities? The answer is because when we submit to authorities, we are submitting to God. See, when we submit to authorities, uh, we are submitting also to the sovereignty of God. Because those leaders, those persons who are in authority, are only there because of God's sovereign will. God allowed them to be there. And so it reminds us of how much God is in control. Regardless of who the leaders are, we are reminded of how much God is in control. God put those leaders there for a purpose. Remember, God used wicked leaders to punish his people for disobedience. Throughout the, the Old Testament, we saw that over and over, right? And so again, we see the importance of submitting to those in authority because they're there because God put them there and God never reveals his, his will to his people. Not at least not all the time. God has a purpose for everything that he does, including creation, every aspect of, of creation. God has a purpose behind it. And uh, the same is so with the, so, the authorities that God has put in place. And so we ought to be minded. Now, there are some leaders that, you know, we, we said, boy, I can't stand him, or I can't stand her, or what's wrong with him? You know, a lot of people are talking about Donald Trump now, you know, and some of the things that he's doing. Yeah, but, uh, you know, there are people who are against uh, Donald Trump, and uh, they won't do this, and they don't want to do that. But God says we submit to whoever it is that is in authority. Uh, and so if you've got Christians who are having a problem with the authority that they have, they also have a problem with God, because God put them there, right? Uh, we have an exercise there on page 113, which is a good exercise I think you should do. 
But look at question number three. How can we navigate the tension between submitting to earthly authorities and submitting to God? How can we navigate the tension? And there is a tension, isn't it? There is a tension, right? How can we navigate the tension between submitting to earthly authorities and submitting to God? How do we deal with that? Anybody? Well, we're told to pray for those who are in authority. And so if we pray for these people, then uh, we're doing our part to help them rule properly. And uh, we know that God's put them there for a reason. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you've got a tension or if you've got a problem with a particular leader, you pray for them. Simple. God says pray for them. You got a problem with them? Pray that they would change. Pray that God would change. God is the one who put them there. He's the one who can change their hearts and their minds and their aspirations and desires, whatever. And so as part of living honorably in this world, believers are subject to every human institution. Every single one. It's not that the authorities are more important than we are, nor that they are more powerful than we are. Instead, we submit for the Lord's sake. That's why we do it. We do it for Jesus' sake. Okay, some people will say, we do it for Jesus' sake. It's the Lord's desire and His command for us to submit rightly to earthly authorities. When we submit to earthly authorities, we are submitting to God. And regardless of how bad they are, um, God can change them. And He will. But it is determined by the prayer of God's people. So you see why important now is to pray for our leaders? Yeah. It's important. Sometimes people groan and they complain and they gripe about this leader and what he's doing. And God says, it's a simple solution. Pray for them. Pray for them. God says, you're complaining about them, but I don't hear you praying about them. You don't come to me and you bring them to me and ask me to pray for this about them and pray for that about them. All you do is grieve and complain and gripe. Pray for your leaders. So we see it's important for us to pray for our leaders. Okay, as we conclude with verses 16 and 17, we'll see how our freedom in Christ fits in with Peter's command for us to submit to authority. So let's look at that last passage. Uh, we have those two verses, verses 16 and 17. Someone go ahead and read, please. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone. Love, love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the emperor. A person can never fully appreciate the value of freedom unless he or she has first experienced the bondage of slavery. In these verses, Peter was writing to believers who had experienced <coughs> We know what it's like to be a spiritual chain, to be in spiritual chain, bondage to our sin. But we also know freedom because we've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. As the Apostle John wrote, if the sun sets you free, you really will be free. John 8.36, Paul described Christians this way. Having been set free from sin, 
you became enslaved to righteousness, Romans 6.18. Since we are in Christ, we are free indeed. But in that freedom, we're called to live our lives in service to the Lord and others. What does this submission to authority as God's slaves look like? Peter pointed to four actions. Show proper respect to everyone. Our true home is in heaven with God, but we must take care how we represent our Lord and ourselves while in this world. That begins with respect. Love the family of believers. God is love. See John 1, 1 John 4, 8. Therefore, as imitators of Christ, love should embody all we do, especially our relationships with other believers. Fear God. When we bow before God, we can stand before anyone. Living in proper awe and reverence towards God helps us be discerning in how we act towards others. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 1.7 Honor the emperor. Whoever is in a position of leadership, whether it be a mayor, a president, or a king, this principle remains the same. As believers, we are to respect and honor those who have civil authority over us. God calls us to be good citizens. Okay. So we got 1 John 4 and 8. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Okay, good words to remember. God is love. God is the personification of love. We want to see what love looks like. Look at the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he did. Uh, during his earthly ministry among us. Uh, that first paragraph, uh, there says, a person can never fully appreciate the volume of freedom unless he or she has experienced the bondage of slavery. Everybody, anyone here ever been locked up in jail? No chance. Okay, yeah, bad feeling, eh? You're restrained, you can't, you don't have no freedom, you can't do whatever you want to do, okay? Not a good feeling at all. In these verses, Peter was writing to believers who had experienced both. We know what it's like to be in spiritual change, chains, bondage to our sin. But we also know freedom because we have been saved by grace through the faith, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As the Apostle John wrote, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And Paul says to Christians, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Are we slaves of righteousness? So we saw the four actions there. Show proper respect to everyone. In other words, don't look down on anybody. Give everybody the same level of respect. Sometimes we look at a person's physical circumstances or social circumstances and, uh, and have a tendency to automatically, sometimes without even thinking about it, have disrespect for that person. Okay, that's something we need to get a handle on. Show respect for everyone. And then he says, love family of believers. Show love, demonstrate it, say it. When Brother Greg called me that day, it just blew me. 
Well, look, you know, out of the blue, you know, he says, brother, I just called to tell you that I love you. And I've been praying for him because I know what he's been going through. All right. But that's one way of showing uh, believers that you love them. Fear God. Okay. Have a reverence for God. Respect God for what he is, for who he is. Honor the emperor. Regardless of what kind of rascal he may be. All right. Here that um, uh, Trump called that lady a dog the other day. I mean, how, how bad could you get? I mean, it's... It's just crazy. But even a person like that who does something like that, the Bible says you gotta honor him. You have to honor him. Say what? His mouth gets away from him. He speaks without thinking. Eh? He speaks without thinking. And people are talking about, oh, how are we going to get rid of him and all this and that. And they're talking impeachment and all that stuff. But, you know, it's not going to happen. No. It's not going to happen. Okay. Uh, they had adhered to a cliff. Hmm? You think if they had adhered to the age of 65, the retirement age, they might not be dealing with that? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Well, you know, there is a saying, once a man, twice a child. Yeah. <laughs> and so you can't, you can't really expect uh, anything from individuals when they get a certain age and they are childish. Because <laughs> once a man, twice a child, right? For question number five. Which of the commands in these verses do you find easiest to obey? Which is difficult? And that's the passage that we had, uh, verses 16 and 17 of First Peter chapter 2. Find any of those verses, words difficult? Which of the commands in these verses do you find easiest? You mean the fear? Yeah. Believers. Fear God are the easiest. Fearing God and loving the believers are easiest. Yeah. Okay. Obeying those in authority is the most difficult. Showing respect to everyone. Yeah. Okay. Showing respect to everyone is hard? Yes. Because of some people's. You gotta earn respect. We gotta earn respect, okay? <laughs> because sometimes, our, some... sometimes our idea of what respect is is our idea. It's not necessarily what's the best. Mm -hmm. We we think well, they, they should do this or this, mm -hmm. uh, and if they don't do this, I'm not gonna respect them. Okay. Um, you may be wrong in what you think. That's right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like in in politics. I'm an American, all right, and I. Uh, I may not like everything any of our presidents have done, or a lot of things. I mean, every one of them has done things that I don't agree with. Mm -hmm. uh, but I have to have a respect for the office. The office, exactly. And who he is, and that God did allow him to get into that office. Mm -hmm. Whether you like it or not, he's in there. Mm -hmm. And... Um, but that's and that is the problem. There is very little respect, and sadly, a lot of it is even from Christians. Mm -hmm. uh, you and how can, and you're, we've said it, but how can we 
say we love God if we aren't going to obey Him. Mm -hmm. There's a problem there. I mean, you you cannot the vile stuff that comes out of people's mouths on not just presidents but prime ministers and every and everyone else. Everyone in leadership. Yeah. Things that come out of people's mouths can be so vile, and yet then they'll stand and say, "Oh, I love God." <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's just not true. Yeah, that's just yeah. not true. Yeah, that's it's an oxymoron. Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. All right, the point? Our lives in this world should reflect our eternal home. Okay, and that's how we deport ourselves, how we conduct ourselves, how we honor those in authority. Should reflect our eternal home. How many times have you heard the statement, boy, if he or she is a Christian and they go into heaven, I don't want to go there. <laughs> we get it a lot, don't we? Okay, let's look at how we are to flesh this out. Uh, page 116. How will the truth of this passage influence the way you live this week? Consider one or more of the following steps. Set a reminder. Place something in your home to remind you this that remind you this world is not your final destination. Remind yourself that you were made for heaven. Set a reminder. Take inventory. Evaluate your life in light of the four statements in 1 Peter 2.17. Ask yourself, how am I doing in showing respect to everyone? Loving the family of believers. Fearing God, honoring the leaders in our city, state, or nation. Good inventory today. And then serve. In our freedom, we are called to serve God and others. Write down ways you can intentionally serve God and others this week. Make this a matter of prayer and commitment as you seek to live your life in a way that honors the Lord. Okay, so we have three options there. And you can do all three, or you can just take one or two. Set a reminder, take an inventory, and serve. Doesn't matter if you live in one house or 20 houses during your stay on this, on, here on earth. Your true home is still to come. Remember that facts as you live and work each day. Remember that fact as you live and work each day. Your home is still to come. Don't get attached. Amen? Amen. Amen.